Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University. Now your hosts, Doug Sweeney and Kristen Padilla. Welcome to the Beeson Podcast. I'm Doug Sweeney, co-host of the Beeson Podcast. We hope you are enjoying this journey back into our podcast archives. We're looking forward to being back with you with fresh content the first week in August. Until then, we continue our greatest hits series, this week playing an episode featuring my friend and longtime mentor, Mark Knoll. He was on the show in 2015, episode 224, talking to our former host, Dr. Timothy George, about his memoir, From Every Tribe and Nation, A Historian's Discovery of the Global Christian Story, which released in 2014. We think you will enjoy hearing about his personal journey into academia, his scholarship, and his heart for God's mission in the world. Let's listen now to Mark Knoll on this week's episode of the Beeson Podcast. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. I have the honor today of speaking to Dr. Mark Knoll. He is the Francis A. McEnany Professor of History at the University of Notre Dame and a longtime friend of mine. Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, Mark. Timothy, thank you. It's good to be with you. Now, we could talk about so many things, and we may end up doing so, but I particularly wanted to focus on your recent book, which is a kind of memoir from every tribe and nation, a historian's discovery of the global Christian story. So tell us a little bit about why a historian would write a memoir and why you would write this one. Well, it's actually a simple story and a complicated story at the same time. The simple side of the story is that when you have friends like Joel Carpenter, who is the um, editor of the series from Baker Books, and Robert Hosack, a longtime friend who is an editor of Baker Books, and they come to you and twist your arm and say, you have to take part, you take part. That's the simple thing. The complicated side is uh, the subject matter. Uh, the Christian faith today is spread around the world in a way that has never taken place before. I was trained, you I think were trained, in the history of Christianity, what we, we call church history, that was primarily Western history for Westerners. And that, that history obviously remains very important, but the situation in the world today is uh, way more active Christians in the continent of Africa than in North America, for example. Perhaps, perhaps, as many uh, people Sunday by Sunday in church in the Communist People's Republic of China as in all of so-called Christian Europe. So it's a very different situation, and the book is an explanation for how, as a historian trying to be responsible to students, I began to integrate a little bit and then tried to integrate more of the world Christian story into courses that I taught. And, of course, some of your other writing has touched on this. Uh, your book, The New Shape of World Christianity, already shows, I think, an awareness that this is a changing reality for us to be aware of. That's right. And that, that book and the, the book of uh, sketches that my friend Carolyn Nystrom and I did on um, – uh, Christian believers not from the Western world came directly out of these teaching um, obligations, teaching uh, experiences that opened up to me the door for a fascinating 
complicated, chaotic sometimes, but fascinating uh, recent world history of Christianity. Now, in this book, you talk a little bit about some of your early uh, church and family background. You grew up in a, in a Christian family, in a very missions-centered family and church. But in spite of this, why do you think your early awareness was primarily Western rather than global, even though there was a strong emphasis on missions? Yeah, and that's probably a, a more requires a more complicated answer than I can give shortly. But certainly, the the mission emphasis of the Calvary Baptist Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, must have had a long term um, uh, effect. My wife uh, helped me know where to start the book because she said when she visited our home first time when we were dating, she saw this big map on the wall of our home with little pins in it, and she wondered what it was. And of course, it was my parents keeping track of their missionary friends around the world. What I did not what I did not experience as a person growing up, it may have been there, it may be my fault, was consideration of Christian faith as a cultural, social, and intellectual as well as a religious movement. I'm sure that if I'd asked the right kind of questions to some of the mostly Baptist missionaries that came through, conservative Baptist missionaries, they could have responded to questions having to do with society, culture, politics, the intellectual life. But the focus in, in our church was, uh, on the, at least on the surface, about the simple spreading of the gospel, church formation, and, and almost nothing else. I realize now much more clearly that those are absolutely foundational elements. But I was, I think, more interested in the cultural and the political, historical side of Christianity, and that I didn't find, probably, again, for my fault. And it was maybe 25 years later that I realized that some of these things could actually come together. Well, you know, there is a whole, uh, really a body of literature, I think we could say, going back to the the 70s and 80s, probably. I'm thinking about people like Andrew Walls, for example, whom you encountered, I believe, when you were at Wheaton and had a great impact on you. Say a little bit about uh, Andy Walls and kind of what his impact has been. Andrew Walls was actually recruited to come to Wheaton College for uh, uh, academic programs having mostly to do with Western Christianity. But when he came, I think at three different occasions, he presented uh, marvelous essays, uh, uh, some off the cuff, I think, but, but marvelous, well-considered essays on how dramatically world Christianity had changed, and then and particularly on the great impact that evangelical movements in the West had had in pushing Westerners toward the rest of the world, and then in some cases planting the seed of Christianity in parts of the world that had not known about the Christian faith. Andrew Walton, in my view, is, is the uh, most um, stimulating historian-slash-theologian whose writings I have ever read, because he ties, his, he ties his vast and encyclopedic knowledge of missionary history, the history of Christianity outside the Western world, to a very secure basis in an understanding of the incarnation of Christ as an act of translation from infinity to temporality, from divine perfection to worldly uh, difficulties, from God to humanity. And on that basis, then, Walls makes the, the, the striking place, case that the history of Christianity must be a history of translation, of transmission of the gospel, because that's where Christianity begins. In in a way, the the very core doctrine of the Incarnation seems to cry out for that interpretation, doesn't it? It does. Certainly. I was just going to say, John one fourteen, the Word became flesh and dwelt among right. us. Isn't that the prime example of 
translation. Indeed it is. And, but I, I do think it took the, the circumstances of the 20th century to jar people into seeing the implications of that text and others exactly as, you, as you've just stated them. And this, I don't think, is, should be a, a matter of self-flagellation because uh, we see in Scripture, and we certainly see in the history of Christianity many, many times when it takes new circumstances to send people back to the Scriptures with new questions and then to receive new insight from the Scriptures. Let me bring up another figure whom I think you know and has been here at Beeson, Laman Sani from Yale, also somewhat maybe in the train of Andrew Wall's scholarship, emphasized translation. Uh, talk about Laman Sani and how his work has interfaced with your own. I encountered Laman's book on translation shortly after hearing Andrew Wall's and may in fact have been put on the Laman Sani's work by Andrew Wall's. I find um, Laman an immensely um, important figure. He is a black African who stands up against those who characterize Christian missionary work as exclusively imperialist and colonizing. Laman is a good historian, and he knows that there there was a great deal of, of wayward imperialism in much of the Western missionary movement, but he also is aware that for... Um, People in his native situation, they were able actually to discriminate between what was useful and what was not useful that came from outside, whether the outside was Christian or, in his case, also a Muslim. His story, which is now a a very fine autobiographical account, his story of growing up a Muslim, learning the the Quran in Arabic, coming uh, into contact with Christians. Christian Africans and Christian missionaries, and then going on to a lifetime of very fruitful study, is, is a remarkable story, and one that um, I've very much enjoyed uh, reading about, and then on the occasions I've, I've heard him lecture. It's also significant, I think, that he has now a position in the history department and the Divinity School at, at Yale University that gives uh, publicity to the potential for serious study of worldwide Christian faith. Yeah, he he brings together, you know, this deep, you mentioned he's a historian and a well-trained one, but also very deeply a person of faith. And these don't seem to be, I know there's tension, but they don't seem to be colliding in his own presentation of his material. They 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 come together as a holistic unit. The Laman is, I think, descended from a uh, family of African chieftains or near chieftains, and, and I think he has the self-confidence to say what he wants to say when he wants to say it. (laughs) And and, um, what he says is very much along the lines as you've just described. Uh, Mark, tell us about some of your forays, particularly uh, travel. It seems, uh, you know, we we live, we say, in a global village when travel is easy despite the great uh, obstacles we we face in terms of the age of terror in which we live. But you traveled yourself into Eastern Europe, into Romania, when it was under the the power of the tyrant Ceausescu. Say a little bit about those travels and how that may have uh, emboldened your own vision. I was fortunate at Wheaton College to be – helped and influenced by a track coach, Donald Church, who encouraged Wheaton College faculty to, to take trips, to, to move outside the box. Don was not a not an uh, aspiring intellectual, but he probably had a, a more positive impact on anyone at Wheaton, alongside maybe the philosopher Arthur Holmes, uh, as, as anyone dur- during my uh, stay. He had organized trips of Wheaton faculty to 
Baptist churches in the north of Romania that carried out more or less underground theological education for many years. I, I took part in 1989, the last summer of uh, Nicolae Ceausescu's rule in, in Romania, uh, going with um, uh, Jerry and Claudia Root from Wheaton, who, who were, were wonderful traveling companions. Uh, it was a real revelation to uh, try to give a, a, a very brief, uh, abbreviated world history of Christianity in the two-week period and uh, lectures that were being translated into Romania. But whatever the students there got, we as visitors got much more. because We got to see a, an expression of the Christian faith with integrity in a situation with real difficulty and not with a whole lot of connections to the uh, Western world. The Romanian Baptists really were uh, much more in dialogue with, uh, of course, communism, but then also with the Orthodox Church uh, of Romania, the, the Greek Orthodox Church uh, that was also strong in that area. So it was a, it was an eye-opening experience, and um, one of the things I was glad to have had personal opportunity to experience when eventually I started teaching these courses. I had an experience myself in Romania around that same era. I'll never forget visiting there. I was a guest of the Baptist churches, but they arranged to have a, a trialogue on Radio Transylvania. I, re I represented the Protestant world. There was a, an Orthodox and a Greek Catholic, and we were all three talking about uh, these things uh, back in an era where that was not so so popular, maybe as it's become. But that leads me to ask you about another area of your writing and your interest that I think has connection to this whole question of the global Christian story, and that is uh, your interest in the evangelical Catholic interaction. Uh, a few years ago, you and uh, Carolyn Nystrom wrote this book, Is the Reformation Over?, an evangelical assessment of contemporary Roman Catholicism. Uh, if you don't mind, talk a little bit about your interest in this whole interface that continues, I think, to be really important for the shaping of the future of the Christian movement. Certainly. My, my interest, of course, was sparked as a historian of Protestantism with the Reformation. And as I try to explain in the, the memoir, it was my discovery of Martin Luther's interpretation of the Christian gospel and then other figures from the 16th century Protestant Reformation that did a great deal to stabilize my own faith as a, as a young adult. So I've always been interested in the Reformation, was privileged to teach at Wheaton College for a number of years, the general course in the Reformation. More recently, however, and uh, as a product, I think, of the Second Vatican Council, which I see as one of the two or three greatest uh, events in Christian history of, of our time, there have been more opportunities for face-to-face -face, uh, dialogue, face-to-face -face learning, face-to-face -face experience between Catholics and uh, evangelical Protestants. Here at Notre Dame, it's a, it's a real treat to have uh, first-hand contact with people like uh, Father Paul Coleman, who's an expert on East African Catholic missions. We've actually taught a course together, as I try to explain in the book. Um, the the um, long history of Catholic evangelization is quite different in many ways from the history of Protestant evangelization, but um, both have a central place for Christ. Both have a central place for uh, the transformation of life under the um, call of the gospel. And so it's been, uh, I think, very helpful for my own Protestant convictions to, to learn more about uh, Catholics and Catholic traditions. 
Um, there are opportunities to be self-critical. There's also opportunities gently to point out ways in which uh, Catholics maybe could learn from evangelicals. And one of those is that I keep uh, thinking about is the, the priesthood of all believers, which uh, Catholics now with the Second Vatican Council have moved closer to in doctrine, but uh, not necessarily in uh, in practice. Of course, we Protestants sometimes carry the priesthood of all believers to excess and uh, create uh, a bunch of little churches on our own, but I'm, I'm convinced that uh, the denominations need each other because together, with their best feet forward, we come closer to what the fullness of the gospel actually means. You know, the, the whole question of the spread of Christianity um, into the world Evangelicals and Catholics, in a way, are at the forefront, as you say, doing evangelization perhaps in different traditions, but with a focus, uh, when it's at its best anyway, on Jesus Christ and on the gospel of salvation through faith in him. And there does seem to be uh, a pattern here. Uh, I remember being at the Synod of Rome, the Synod for the New Evangelization in Rome in 2012, and it was particularly the, the bishops and the cardinals from Africa and Latin America who seem to resonate most uh, fully with a kind of evangelistic effort and zeal. The Pope was trying to push at the time was Benedict XVI, but not with entire acceptance by the Curia. Now, of course, we have another Pope, a new Pope, Francis, who's from that world. And it does seem to me that an opportunity for cooperation, collaboration, working together uh, presents itself in an almost unique way in the history of the church. But yes, and, and Timothy, I think, as you know, having made presentations in Rome recently, that um, when the current pope was selected, there, there was not a universal, but a substantial uh, applause from evangelicals in Argentina who prayed with him, um, uh, studied the scriptures with him, uh, tried to be active in the right sort of way in social responsibilities in, in Argentina. And that that really is a historical first. The, the last time that uh, Protestants cheered when a pope was elected was never. And, <laughs> yes. and, uh, this is, I mean, I think uh, many evangelicals have come to see uh, the virtues in John Paul II and Benedict the Sixteenth, and actually in, in some of the earlier popes as well, but the kind of uh, 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 delight that came from a few parts of the evangelical world at the uh, inauguration of Pope Francis really is a, a unique occurrence. Now, you spoke a moment ago about how the uh, awareness and study of the wider church has uh, deepened in some ways your own convictions as a Protestant Christian. Uh, why is that the case? Why haven't you become a Catholic? As much as you're open and, and love Catholics and you love the history of the church and you see the benefits, uh, why why are you still a Protestant? I think the, the main reason is a sense of calling. Um, my life has been in Protestant circles. Um, I do see at Notre Dame some of the very best aspects of Catholicism, which if you compare them to the worst aspects of evangelical Christianity, you'd wonder why anybody stayed as an evangelical. But by the same token, um, as a historian and as an observer of the world, I, I realize that the Catholic Church has many serious problems. They're oftentimes different problems than we evangelicals have. Uh, my own sense is that there are real strengths in the evangelical tradition, uh, like uh, assistance on the priesthood of believers, like the formulation of justification by faith, by grace through faith, um, like the um, 
the, the missiological history of the last uh, couple of centuries is exemplified in someone like Andrew Walls. And I, could, I would add people like Dana Robert, a wonderful, also contemporary historian of world Christianity. It does seem to me that we're, we're at a place where believing Catholics, Protestants, Orthodox can cooperate with each other and bring into common understanding and hopefully common practice insights and strengths from our various traditions. Some people will, uh, maybe quite properly, move from one tradition to another. But when the Lord has placed you a certain in a certain tradition and given you opportunities to see it, it at its best and, and at its worst, uh, my sense is that without extreme change of circumstances, it's simply good to stay where you are. And one more question, Mark. This is slightly different, but you are a historian of American religious history. You have a PhD in Vanderbilt, uh, from Vanderbilt to prove it, uh, and many, many books and writings that have helped us all understand. How has your study of global Christianity improved or at least uh, informed your work as specifically a historian of American religious history? As I do try to explain in the book, that the step that uh, went in that direction, came first by looking at Canadian history of Christianity and realizing that this story is very similar to the U.S. in many ways, but strikingly different. Canadians, for example, just don't get hung up over the separation of church and state. That's a minor matter, but um, having studied that, uh, I have I was able to bring to bear new perspectives on American religious history, where separation of church and state is a very big deal. I think more importantly, in world Christianity, uh, I'm challenged, for example, by the spread of Pentecostalism. I'm not a Pentecostal. My my understanding of the Holy Spirit is pretty pretty quiet, pretty tame, pretty reserved. But I see that uh, throughout the world, uh, those who have a much more active sense of the Holy Spirit's presence have... Um, Proclaim the gospel, have done good works in Christ's name, have even in more recent years uh, approached structural, social activity in a very positive way. So I, I don't necessarily change my opinions or, or beliefs, convictions, in, in examining the huge variety of Christian faith that exists in the world, but I do think I've come to appreciate different varieties, different traditions that aren't my own more, and once that's done overseas, it's also easier to do that at home as well. So I, I hope I have a, a more capacious, a more charitable, a more um, a, a calmer approach to the study of Christianity in North America for, for learning a little bit about Christianity around the world. My guest today on the Beeson Podcast has been Dr. Mark Knoll. He is the Francis A. McEnany Professor of History at the University of Notre Dame. We've been talking about his recent book, his memoir, titled From Every Tribe and Nation, A Historian's Discovery of the Global Christian Story. Mark, thank you for this wonderful conversation, for all the things you do to advance the cause of Christ and scholarship in our time. Well, you're most welcome, Timothy. It's a privilege to be on the program with you. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast. Our theme music is written and performed by Advent Birmingham of the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. Our engineer is Rob Willis. Our announcer is Mike Pascarello. Our co-hosts are Doug Sweeney and myself, Kristen Padilla. Please subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at beesondivinity.com slash podcast or on iTunes. Thank you.